scripture that can be found on the inside of your bulletin. This is Philippians 3. We continue looking at the mind of the joyful Christian. And we've already discovered that the mind of a joyful Christian is a single mind focused on Christ regardless of circumstances. We've discovered that it's a submissive mind in its relationships. And we've discovered in this chapter, chapter 3, that it's a spiritual mind focused not on the physical things of this earth but on the upward call that God gives us in Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at this spiritual mind. This is Philippians 3, 12 through 16. It can be found in the inside of your bulletin. This is Paul. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attain, attained. The word of the Lord. Well, I was on uh, uh, Expedia.com as well as all of the sites online. I don't know if you've ever tried to buy airline tickets. You know, but there's six or seven different sites you can go to and it seems like they're all interrelated in some way. It's sort of a shell game going on there. I needed to get some tickets for my parents who are coming for Thanksgiving. And so, you know, you try your best to find, particularly around Thanksgiving. And we settled on, I think it was Delta, and uh, went ahead and chose the particular flights, ready to pay with uh, our credit card. But lo and behold, some other screens started popping up. Are you interested in preferred seating? It asks us. It'll only be 15 to to $100 based on whatever choice seating you want. Are you interested perhaps in priority boarding? Maybe you want to go first. Maybe you want to be moved up to section A. You can go ahead and do that as well. And so on and so on as the airlines continue to tack on fees to try to increase profitability. Know now that in many airlines you have to buy your pillow and uh, blanket. Remember that? Buy or suffer is basically what they're saying. I think they dropped the temperature just a little bit to try to eke a little bit more. You know, the snacks, used to get the snacks. I don't know, that could go by the wayside as well. But the biggest frustration and anger for everyone are the baggage fees. Right? It used to be free. You could take two bags, you know, your check bag, then two bags, and anything over that. You know, if you had skis or a kayak or, you know, a small, uh, uh, you know, MG or something, you could pay for that. But now, no, no, totally different. If you fly United Airlines, for instance, it's $25 for your first check bag. They graciously allow you to carry your carry-on bag, so kind of them. Second bag, $36. Additional bags, $125. And it goes on and on and on. Air Canada, 25 bucks, 35 bucks for the third, and 100 bags, $100 for the next bag. I'm trying to find who is the best deal here. Southwest, bags fly free, except... If you go ahead, no, they do fly free. Let's take a look here. $75 for over three bags. So it must make sense that if you want to fly and you have a lot of baggage, Southwest Airlines is the way to go. 
Now why do I talk about baggage and spend so much time? I think the reason is we like to take along our baggage, don't we? You know, the, the storage uh, industry has grown by 476% in the last 10 years. We've got stuff and we want to hold on to it. We want to take it. We all have baggage. Well, certainly we have physical baggage, but we have emotional baggage as well. Spiritual baggage. Maybe it's bad baggage, you know, the stuff that's in my past, it's kind of wrapped around my neck and I can't seem to get rid of it, so the best thing I can do is kind of pack it away, keep it close, and carry it with me. Maybe a bad relationship, a bad business deal, a bad experience with God. Maybe bad investments. I don't know what it is, but sometimes it seems so hard to let go of what has happened to move forward to what is ahead. And the more baggage we have, the higher the price. Because it weighs us down, it stops us from flying high, from moving into the sky. And so what Paul is saying in this passage is we have to find a way to let go of what is behind us, to seize what is ahead of us. That we cannot simultaneously carry our baggage into the future. It weighs us down. That this path that God calls us on is a path that does not allow for these things of the past. It allows only for ourselves and our hopes and dreams and our leader, Jesus Christ. And so Paul is on this journey saying that I'm exactly like you, Philippians. I have to let go of my baggage in order to move forward. But Paul says, regardless of the circumstances, I have committed my path. I've made my decision. My determination is fast. I'm going to run this race, the upward call in Christ Jesus. Paul sets for us a path that we must take if we want to follow in this race to the upward call of Christ. The first thing that we must do, according to Paul, is we must have dissatisfaction. There needs to be a dissatisfaction in our life if we are to move forward. Number two, we have to make a decision at some point. We have to put our feet on the ground. We have to draw the line and say, I have to leave what is behind in order to move to what is ahead. And finally, number three, we have to be determined. See, it's not just a one-time decision, is it? This is a path and a road. And it's not those who start, but it's those who finish that experience this prize of the upward call. So let's take a look at these three points. Because you have to let go of what is behind in order to take hold of that which is ahead. Number one, dissatisfaction. Paul in verse 12 puts it this way. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. What is Paul talking about? Not that I have already obtained it. What is this that he has not already obtained? If we read earlier in the chapter as I preached on last week, what is Paul's desire? I want to know Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. I want to have a deep and abiding relationship with this one who rescued me. I want to even be found in him. So close and intimate is my union with him. Jesus is who I am looking for. But I haven't fully obtained this yet. Or am I already perfected as it says? It's word perfected in the Greek, if you look at the bottom, uh, at the root, it's telos. Meaning, I have not yet been completed. 
I've not gotten to the end of myself. I've not been resurrected like Jesus. I have not finished the race. I'm not there yet. But I must press on. I press on to make it my own. You get this sense. Have you ever, you know, you see the movies and the, and the commanding officer says to the army, Press on. We must continue to move forward. And that's what Paul is saying. I am going to press on to make it my own. It's not quite mine yet, but I want it. I can see it. I can even maybe taste it. I press on to make it my own. Why does Paul have this passion? You know, this guy, if you read the life of Paul, you know, he's traveling from place to place. People are stoning him. They're whipping him. I mean, he is living a life of pain. They'll, they'll whip him. They'll send him out of the city, and he'll come right back into the place where he was sent out. Why does Paul have this passion to run this race? Somewhere there is a dissatisfaction in Paul. Something has happened in his life that has upended all of his values. That has caused him to reshuffle and reprioritize what is the most important thing in his life. See, Paul has gotten a taste of something and his life will never be the same. The cause why Paul presses on to make it his own is because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I'm trying to follow after him because he came down and he obtained me. John 1.12, for all who received him to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I want to know Christ because Christ wanted to know me. I want to taste and see that the Lord is good. You ever gotten a taste of something? It's just, you just got a little bit. I think that's why Sam's, you know, they're reeling you in. I'm not interested in that cherry fruitcake or whatever it is. And then you get a taste. I don't know if you like fruitcake or not. I've never been a fan of fruitcake. Bad illustration. Uh, let me try uh, caviar. I, I don't know. The point is when you get a taste of it, if you're really hungry, you want more. And it's amazing how much in the Bible God says to taste and see that the Lord is good. Open wide your mouth, O Israel, and I will fill it. I am the true bread of life, and he who hungers and eats of me will never hunger, and he who drinks of me will never thirst. Paul has gotten a taste, and nothing else will do. Everything else is dissatisfaction. And so he's writing to the Philippians. Are you tired? Have you lost sight of that taste that you had? Are you settling along the way? No, there's something much richer and deeper out there for you. And I'm going to go find it regardless of what you do. When I was a kid growing up, uh, we weren't really a skiing family, but every now and then we would go. Northern Virginia, there's a ski slope named Wisp. I don't know if you ever heard of it. I think it's in Pennsylvania. Um, but the ones down here, uh, the big ones are Massanutten and uh, Wintergreen, right? Neat ski slopes, you know, I remember going to Wintergreen, wow, this is fantastic, you know, this is cool. And you do all the runs and you start with cup run and you go on up and I forget whatever the big one is. And I used to look forward to going those, to those ski resorts, you know, skiing's expensive so I didn't do it often. Uh, but it was, a, it was a great joy until something happened. I went to Colorado. <laughs> Breckenridge, Arapahoe Basin, Keystone, 
and all of a sudden my eyes were opened to a whole new reality of skiing. And I loved Colorado until I went to Europe. See, my father-in-law is a ski buff and did quite well in his business, so he'd take the extended family skiing. So here's a good example of a picture of the Alps. This is me on a Tuesday just enjoying. I have coffee and crumpets in the back and I'm going to stop. And No, I've, I've, I've I had the pleasure and honor of skiing many wonderful slopes. St. Moritz in Switzerland, Kitzbühel in Austria, um, Chamonix in France where Mont Blanc is. And it's a whole different ball game. There's not a tree in sight. Longest ski run in the world is at Mont Blanc. It's called La Valle Blanche, the White Valley. Seven miles, no trees, beautiful. See, I had a taste of wintergreen and I was fine with it. But then I got a deeper taste of Colorado and I was great with it. And now I have a taste for the Alps. And wintergreen just ain't gonna do anymore, is it? <laughs> See, once you get a taste of what is beyond you, there's a dissatisfaction in your life where nothing else will do anymore. So I guess my question for you is, have you tasted? What do you want? What's enough for your life? I've got a nice family. I've got a nice situation. We live in a nice community. Really, I have everything I ever could want or need for that matter. I have a good life. But is it enough? Is there a deeper hunger in you that goes beyond simply having a good family, simply having a good situation, simply having that car or that body or that I don't know what it is. Maybe in your Christianity, I know this much of Jesus. I've never gone beyond it, but I'm fine with this. Thank you very much. I come to church on Sunday. I volunteer every now and then. I listen to the preacher and then I go home. And frankly, I'm satiated. It's enough. Until next Sunday, I got my meal. There's a lot of blessings that we have as the body of Christ. We get to see Christ in one another. We get to fellowship and hear about the hope of glory in the gospel. But it's not enough. If you're not a Christian, you have no idea what I'm talking about. You're satisfied with playing in the garbage instead of having a holiday at sea because you've never ever seen it. But if you are a Christian, maybe in the back recesses of your mind you can remember when you came to faith and you tasted the finest food in the purest water. So if you are satisfied, turn out. It's fine. I'll be done in about two hours and then we can come back in. But if you have experienced that taste and you want more, you must acknowledge dissatisfaction in your life. You must acknowledge that you're not there yet. And you must see the race to be run. This leads to my second point. If there's dissatisfaction, you have to make a decision. Notice what Paul says. Not that I have already obtained this yet or made perfect. But I press on to make it my own. This one thing I do. Forgetting what is lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. How does Paul deal with the satisfaction? He makes a decision. This one thing that I do. You know, it's interesting. There are many things I could think that Paul could do, but he says, one thing I do. 
There's a lot of one things in the Bible, by the way. A lot of one things. Remember Jesus? One thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have and come follow me to the rich young ruler. Remember David? One thing I ask, this is what I desire, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. One thing always seems to lead to decision. So Paul is at a point of decision. I'm not there yet, but I'm in the middle of this journey. I can't go back, but I can just sit down and say no more. But Paul says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Now what is Paul saying in forgetting what lies behind? Remember in Philippians 3, he's talking about all his accomplishments, his reputation, all the things that he's done. But he says, whatever was to my gain, I consider loss compared to the surpassing greatness. I consider all of those things garbage that I may gain Christ. See, at some point, Paul had to make a decision. My accomplishments, if I follow this path, they're going to go by the wayside. People aren't going to acknowledge him. My reputation is going to go down the tubes. My future, my opportunities, they're going to get cut off as well. I'm not going to... My relationships. But you know what else is going to get forgotten? My sins of the past. You know, Paul used to be the guy who was helping to kill Christians, you know? He kind of held the coats for everyone while they stoned Stephen. He went from place to place trying to arrest. He was the guy chasing the Christians in Syria. How much do you think that weighed around his heart? He can forget, but there's also the failures of Paul. You know, it's not only the good things that we have to leave behind, it's the bad things as well. And some of those things, it's strangely enough harder to leave the bad things than the good things. The Bible has a lot of looking back, by the way. Remember the Israelites during the desert? Oh man, this stinks. <laughs> Why did we leave? Let's go back. Remember, there was all this food and everything. Why did you send us out here? We want to go back. Remember all the guys following Jesus? Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And they said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And they left and didn't come back. See, forgetting for us can be a problem. The Bible says we often think that to forget is like it got cleared from our slate. But that's not true, is it? You can't forget the past. The biblical definition of forgetting is not uh, failing to remember. You know, you hear the songs, what sin, you know, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. God doesn't forget them or blank the slate. What he says is, my love and relationship to you is no longer affected or influenced by the past. I love you because I love you. See, we can't forget the past. God has not changed the past. He's changed the meaning of the past. And so we must as well. We can't change the past, but we can change the meaning of the past. And we can break the power of the past by living for the future. Forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. This word straining, it's a, it's a running term. It literally means when you start running and then your hand's in front of you and then the next thing strains in front of you and so on and so on. Stretching and straining 
toward the finish line. Your whole body leaning forward. I have discovered the word straining in a new light as I've taken my puppy Pepper for a walk. My puppy Pepper, I kind of like that. My puppy Peppy Pepper. That'll do. Uh, Pepper, when we start, you know, he's grabbing his leash. We actually have this neat thing. Leon will take uh, Pepper. We've got this, it's kind of a boom attached to the bike. And so Pepper gets attached to the bike, you know, by a leash, and she starts riding. And for a while, I'm like, she's going to drag that dog to death. This is going to be very, very bad, uh, you know, for our reputation. But pretty soon, Pepper is trying to go ahead. He's got the harness, but he is straining ahead. Home is long gone. The adventure and the trail of the unknown future lies ahead, and Pepper wants every part of it. We could stop pedaling honestly, and Pepper would pull us. Our kids are looking forward to that with the skateboard, you know? Forgetting what is past and straining toward what is ahead. You know, we have had a challenge in our home, losing our son. Uh, it is something I never, ever imagined that would happen to us. We have wonderful, wonderful memories and um, a rich relationship that we have with our son. We talk about him all the time. But the reality is I can't go back. We can't go back. He's not there anymore. Because we can't go back. We have his memories. We have his laughter. We have his pictures. We have his writings. But my life with my son, I can't go back to it. My son now lies in the future. The upward call. He's run the race. He is there now waiting at the end of the finish line. And if I want to see him, I must strain forward. You know, I could sit down. Our family could, you know. This is one of the things that you just plant your flag, you know. I'm bitter, God. Why did you do this? You don't love me. I'm not going anywhere with you anymore. I'm going to hold on to that thing as tight as I can. That's my baggage. It may be miserable, but it's what I have and it's better than you. See, Paul tasting the Lord, being dissatisfied, said, I'm making a decision. All that is bad, all that is good, I'm not forgetting it in the sense of it never happened. But what lies ahead is that which I'm reaching for. And so you and I, I have the question for you, what's holding you back? What are the suitcases that maybe you're carrying around, good or bad? Is it the past sins you committed? That relationship you never should have started? Those words you never should have said to your child that you can't take back? That abortion you had when you were younger and you were scared and you didn't know what to do? Is it the shame of the past? Or maybe it's the sins that have been committed against you. It's your parents divorcing when you were young. It's your spouse walking out of you. It's the business partner who left you high and dry. You're going to hold on to that anger. You're not going to let go of it. It's a tether. It's an anchor. Maybe it's your accomplishments. You are a captain of your industry. You are a COO or a CEO or an executive vice president or whoever. And now you're retired. And nobody thinks about you anymore. I'm nothing. I don't have my title. I don't have. I'm forgotten. 
and you're bitter because people have forgotten who you are. All of those things we have to let go to move forward. Not to forget the past, but to change the meaning of it. My past is not determined by my future. How can we do this? The reason we can is that our Savior has walked this path ourselves, Himself. Was He not the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Did He not step down from His exalted throne, taking on the flesh of a man? Did He not walk the path as He was continuously sinned against by the very people He was coming to save? The very people He created and was actively sustaining as God. There is no greater picture of straining than Jesus Christ straining toward the cross because he knew that on the other side of the cross was redemption for his children, you and me who love the Lord. The joy of the Father who was in the future was the reason for straining. If you're dissatisfied, if you want to move forward, you have to make a decision. Let go of your baggage. Pull out your suitcase. Throw whatever is inside of it. Not the good stuff. Throw the meaning is what I'm saying. Go to the airport, set it in a corner, and run. Okay, because pretty soon, bag, 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 you know, and the whole guys come in and they throw a grenade at the thing and it's gone. Leave it at the gate. And run free because the only way you can run is when you're not caring. You ever try to run with a 50-pound duffel on your back? It ain't going to happen. See, we have to let go of our accomplishments to take hold of His glory. And you have to let go of what is behind to strain toward what is ahead. This brings me to my final point. There's dissatisfaction that's moved you to a decision. You have to run the race with determination. Notice Paul in verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This word press on is actually a different press on. It's the picture of a hunter that is pursuing his prey. He's stalking. He's following. He's tracking. And he's pressing on toward this goal, this finish line that lies in the front for this prize. The word prize in Greek literally means umpire. Why umpire? Because it's the umpire that judges who has won and the one who gives the prize. Most important thing is not you getting across. It's the umpire who judges whether you've gotten across or not. And he's so, so he's pressing on for the prize. God who says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my kingdom, my child. This prize is an upward call, a resurrected call, one that does not end here but one who ends, ends with the Lord. How do we do this? The upward call in Christ Jesus. Philip said, I don't know the way. So how can I know where you're going? Jesus said, I am the way. The truth and the life. I am the path. Walk in me. So what does it take? It takes determination. It's one thing to decide, it's a whole other thing to persevere to the end. I've had the privilege of running a lot of different races. I've run some half marathons. I've also run uh, the Marine Corps Marathon three times. 
I've run 5Ks. And it's very interesting. There's a different feel for each race. 5K, people are out there high-fiving in the beginning. You know, they're having a great time. They're jumping around. We're going to have a great time. Why? Because it's not going to be too long. And we're going to be done. You know, we're going to eat, we're going to drink, whatever. Half marathon, still kind of wild and crazy. Okay? Yeah, it's going to be a little bit longer, but it's going to be fun. Do you know there are more injuries in a half marathon than a marathon? More people die in a half marathon than a marathon. Why is that? Some people say, oh, I don't need to train. It's only 13 miles, come on. You know? I used to think that way. It's only 13 miles. I think I can fake that. I think I can gut that out. Well, maybe you can. But in a marathon, it's very different. There's a quiet determination to it. There's a grimness to it in some ways. Because staring in front of them is 26 miles of pain. And if you go to the start of a marathon, here's what you will see. All sort of conventions of gender and politeness to one another are gone. See, you're hydrating, you're drinking, and not to be crass, but when you've got to go to the bathroom, guys, they just stand on the side and they go. Women, not to be outdone, take a trash bag and they rip the bottom and they sort of kneel in the trash bag and go right there. In any other setting, even a 5K or whatever, people would say they'd be aghast. People are taking off clothing. In fact, the Salvation Army and all these people are waiting around for the race to start because they will collect thousands of pounds of clothing that people looking to run this race have said that this $20 sweatshirt no longer matters to me compared to the race that lies ahead. Why do we do it? It's the goal. It's the prize. It's that medal at the end. I ran the Marine Corps. I ran. I was one of those guys. Who runs these race, races? It's the dissatisfied. I'm convinced of this. All runners are either running from something or running to something. Maybe both at the same time. But Paul said, I'm running. I'm shedding my clothes. Forgetting what is behind. Meaning, this will not hold me. Straining toward what is ahead, I am heading. Jesus lived a life of grim determination. Paul did too, and we are called to do the same. Redeemer, God is calling us to a higher call. It's not easy. We're the marathon people. I don't know if you came here for a 5K, if you're a member of Redeemer, maybe even a 13K, it's going to be longer than that. And we're going to need one another because we're going to get tired and we're going to forget about the prize and the goal and we're going to remember how nice it was at the front when there was coffee and all that stuff. It's not easy. But if we're going to run, we have to have a shared sense of dissatisfaction. And you know what? The vision that God has for this church is bigger than simply this church. There are a lot of people out there that live right next to you and work in the cubicle right next to you who are dissatisfied with their life and go from place to place chasing for things that will never ever quench their hunger. They need a taste of the gospel. And guess what? You're the bread. 
We are a city on a hill. A supernatural light. The dissatisfied who have decided to run and determined to finish to the end. And so I finish. Have you tasted, Christian? Do you want to taste non-Christian? Then let go of your baggage so you can run free. Run with determination, fixing your eyes on the prize, not the pain. Run together. We have to let go of what is behind to strain toward what is ahead. And we have to let go of our sins, our accomplishments, and our baggage to take hold of His glory. He has called us, and He will be faithful to the end. Only let us run in His strength. Let's pray. Lord, you were dissatisfied. Although you're the King of Kings, Heavenly Father, the Creator, although you were in perfect relationship as the Trinitarian God, you were dissatisfied. You were dissatisfied because you did not have us. And so you made a decision, Father, to send Jesus. Jesus, you made a decision. I will go. I will ransom my people. And with dogged determination, Jesus, you went to the cross so that you might obtain your prize. Lord, let us take hold of that which has taken hold of us, your passion and desire and spirit. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on the prize, not the pain. You are certainly worthy of such a race. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.